Hello and welcome to the Don't Suffer Like Us podcast with Kimberly Fujitaki and myself, Thea Pichel. Today we're going to be discussing part two of language and its importance. We're going to talk about awareness around language. A lot of times the conversations that we have in personal spaces work out fine, but in public spaces, if we're not aware of how we're using our language, we can potentially deprive our students of a great experience. We're just waiting for Kimberly to join us. And I just wanna apologize in advance. I, my neighbor has this, because we're doing the socially distanced podcast thing, um, can't really control the sound as much as I would like. And my neighbor has a Halloween wolf on their in their front yard. So every once in a while, you'll hear. <laughs> so if you hear that, <laughs> I apologize. It is my seven-year-old neighbor's wolf. <laughs> anyway, so that's going on. So it's October right now, and we're still in the middle of the pandemic and still adapting to life, right? But language is one of those things that we use all the time. And whether we're teaching online or in public or, you know, depending on the situations within our state or country, depends, you know, language is still a big part of that. And now we have Kimberly. Yay. Hello. Hello. We have the sound of the wolf of my neighbors. And now we have you as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the joys of podcasting in a pandemic right (laughs) it's quite the hoops quite the the mental hoops to jump through because i am an audiophile so i'm really particular about sound and i have to let it go a pari (laughs) graha exactly every week with the brahmacharyas and the and the leaf blowers and the whole everything (laughs) but (laughs) So today we're going to be speaking about awareness surrounding our language. And I think this is a really important conversation, don't you, Kimberly? Yeah, I think especially right now, I think there's so many things that we have to clearly communicate to others that may be really difficult conversations, you know, with the just everything that's going on in our world, our ability to clearly communicate what's occurring for us and also having the empathy to communicate what has happened for other people is really valuable in how we connect with others. And we as teachers are able to have conversations and dialogues about things that are arising that are very important. Mm-hmm. And I think today with our podcast, we're going to start discussing with something that happens a lot in the yoga teaching community. And it happens actually in a lot of spiritual communities too. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's spiritual bypassing. Yeah. So to discuss spiritual bypassing, obviously we have to know what spiritual bypassing is. So what do you think spiritual bypassing is, Thea? Spiritual bypassing is basically where you deprive a person of their experience by attempting to make them feel better. God has a plan. Mm -hmm. Or, 
you know, asserting some type of spiritual dominance, like, well, if you were as enlightened as me, if you meditated as much as I did, if you practice yoga as much as I did, you wouldn't have this problem. So I kind of think of spiritual bypassing in, in two ways. One, the aspect of, you know, God has a plan or, you know, um, love and light, love and light, be positive. Yeah. And, and I just used God has a plan right now because there's a lot of people suffering and mm -hmm. people have been dying from the pandemic. And I've seen a lot of that like popping up on my, my social media newsfeed. And yes. so that's why I use that specific yeah. experience example. And, and I think that it's true, it's, you know, and, and just because something is feels true to you doesn't necessarily mean that it's true to other people. And, mm -hmm. and that can be something that's really like challenging for us to hold space and to understand, especially as we navigate a lot of very serious conversations. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> spiritual bypassing, it, it, it's the, it's also the idea too of, of what gaslighting people are is, mm -hmm. is going on right now. And gaslighting is, is the idea of making you feel like there's something wrong with you or that the, your sanity is in question because somebody doesn't believe the same thing that you do. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that both of them are very dangerous and that if we just have these blanket statements to people, they can take them in, in very different ways. And they might not be the ways that we intend them to take them, but they're still being thought of in that way. And so we have to be very, very clear on our language about why these types of ideas, though they may be comforting to you, may not be comforting to everybody and may do harm to others. Mm -hmm. And it also goes back to what we discussed last week with translogic, where people will assert like a dominance over, you know, um, spirituality and like they have the answers that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And um, that also goes into what Kimberly's saying with the, the gaslighting or gaslamping. Um, you know, if you don't know, if you're not in the know, then you're not a real yoga teacher. I'm not saying that as a fact. I'm saying that that's kind of one of those messages that's surrounding it. Um, because there's been a lot going on this year. And um, I've seen that because as a moderator for a yoga teacher's group. I've seen a lot of that where people are responding to the various movements and to the pandemic and to a variety of things. And there's constantly this, well, if you were more enlightened, then you could do this. If you practice this, then you would be known, you know, and it, it, it has, it's toxic. It has, yeah. it's dangerous. Yeah. And it, it potentially also another aspect of spiritual bypassing, I should say, is when we absorb ourselves in spiritual practice so we don't have to deal so we can inflict it upon ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to deal with what's going on in the world. Right. So our meditation, our yoga practice can help us. But if we're using it as escapism so that we don't have to deal with our our difficulties Emotions. or our emotionals, our emotionals. <laughs> <laughs> I have emotionals. I don't know about you, Kimberly. Our emotions. Then it's also toxic to ourselves. You know, it doesn't yeah. even have to be something we put on other people. Right. And that, that could be, that could be the same idea of, you know, you need to practice three hours a day or you need to practice, you know, thinking mm -hmm. that more, more is going to benefit you when 
you know, you're not taking care of your kids or your family or any of your responsibilities, like, and you're just saying, oh, I'm just practicing yoga, like, this is benefiting me, like, is it really benefiting you? Mm -hmm. Or is it creating more dysfunction? Because after you still have to deal with your life, we still, Mm -hmm. you know, you might be on the on the pink cloud, you know, from Shavasana, whatever, or all your meditations, but life is still there after. And if we don't have the tools and we don't create the tools with the language that we use to to describe what it is that we're feeling, then, you know, we are putting ourselves in a position of harm. And and we could be putting our students in a position of harm, too, if we are not, you know, being honest about how we can clearly communicate what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people come to yoga excuse me, because they they need to do deep inner work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yoga can help that, but it's also important that it doesn't become a replacement action for something that's negative. Yes. Um, so a lot of times people will come to yoga from, a, from you know, addiction or disordered eating, and yoga can help them heal, of course, but it requires balance you know, or else they could be spiritually bypassing themselves regarding what they need to work on and not really evolving to the place that they could be emotionally. Yeah. I've also heard from certain people dealing with, you know, chemical imbalances. Athea and I have talked about this before people who, you know, having depression or anxiety and then them making them, their teacher making them feel like, well, yoga should just be curing this. Like you shouldn't have to take any medications. You should just be able to go to yoga and then that's going to make it better mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. That is dangerous. That language is dangerous to people. Mm-hmm. It is something that if we are saying those words, we are potentially harming somebody. Yeah. Like that's not appropriate. <laughs> you cannot do that to people because certain people are you're first of all, we have to know our scope too as a yoga teacher. If you're telling people to get off of their medications, you are out of your out of your scope completely. Like it's inappropriate. Yeah. And even with doctors and nurses and other medical professionals, when if they're teaching yoga, when they teach yoga, they're not being the medical professional. Mm-hmm. And that the, with they'll keep that delineation between things, mm-hmm. you know. And if someone approaches them, they'll say, "Well, you should see a doctor for that." You know, um, they're not the doctor in that situation or that the nurse in that situation, they can guide someone to do something, but within the scope of their practice, they have these boundaries, even when they're teaching, Mm -hmm. which brings us to our next point, cultural and racial awareness. A lot of times in these spaces, there's microaggressions. And for the most part, there's unintentional. And right now though, because the climate of, of, of the, of the United States, I won't say the world, but the climate of the world, the United States um, and the increase in nationalism and the leaning into QAnon and other conspiracy theories, these things are popping up into this, these spaces when, um, so, you know, we thought we'd talk a little bit about that. It's one of those conversations that's not pleasant to have, but it's mm-hmm. an important conversation. And I think when the come, when it comes to cultural, I think it's important to, understand where this movement, where what we're teaching comes from mm-hmm. and not uh, claiming ownership over it. Right. Maybe we've adapted things 
but we need to, I think from my perspective, we need to pay homage to where it comes from and not lose that um, and separate it from its culture. If right. that makes no, I absolutely agree, you know, and, and we've talked about before cultural appropriation and, you know, and what is appreciating the culture and appreciating yoga practice and how it has benefited us and what, you know, it's done to transform most of us who've, who've done teacher training and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on our education and practice every day it's not because we don't believe in this. Like it's, it's because of the transformations that we've gone through and we've seen other people go through, through the practices that helps to feed us to continue to do the work. At least for me, that's how I feel about yoga practice. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not, <clears throat> if I'm not listening to voices of, you know, Indian culture and East Asian ancestry and, you know, keeping in mind the ancient roots of the practice, then I am not necessarily giving the space to yoga that I feel like is, is necessary. And so that's why I think it's so important to know, you know, the heritage and the culture and to be sensitive to, to other people's cultures. Like for instance, (laughs) in certain schools or religious spaces that I practice or go to yoga um, to teach yoga, especially to children, there's a difference between the way that I would teach adults and the way that I will teach children yoga. It's to be culturally sensitive to the people that I am engaged with without stripping away the the beauty of the practice in its ancient roots at the same time. So it's walking a fine line of having, you know, that sensitivity, but also being like, like I don't personally teach in spaces where I'm not allowed to say yoga, you know, and there are Mm -hmm. certain schools that I would teach at or opportunities when I first began teaching where we wouldn't be able to use any kind of Sanskrit language. And so now, as, a, as I've grown and as I've continued my teaching, like those are not the spaces that I want to personally teach in. And I'm sure that there are other people who are fine with that. But I want to be able to go to a space where yoga is welcomed and accepted and that it's not something to be feared and, um, <clears throat> uh, and people to fear that I'm indoctrinating their children because of the yoga practice that I'm teaching them. <clears throat> And I think that cultural awareness takes another um, step as well in the aspect of when you're teaching in spaces, there's a culture there as well. Mm-hmm. And you hit on it <laughs> with teaching because the culture of children is different than the culture of adults. And the culture of teaching at a studio is going to be different than the culture of teaching at a gym, which is different than the culture of teaching at a church or where have you. Yeah. Um, so it's important, I think, to pay it attention and be respectful and honor the original culture, but also be aware of the culture that you're, you're participating in. And have the discussion with people in the beginning. So you're not, you know, that was one of the things that I had to do too, is learn how to have a conversation with administrators Mm -hmm. and parents and people who are not familiar with yoga to make them understand what the practice is all about, you know, Mm -hmm. and still continue to have those links and ties to the ancient practice and its beauty, 
but at the same time, make it so that it's accessible to people who may be a little bit fearful about Hindu religion or Sanskrit or, yeah. or just ideas that they may not ever have been exposed to, too. I'm now yeah. a person who is exposing them to this idea that's something that's not anything that they've ever heard about or understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, another aspect of, I forgot where I was going with this thought. I apologize. (laughs) But also with cultural awareness comes racial awareness and the things that are coming up in spaces like all lives matter, Mm -hmm. um, things that are race, I don't see color, those type of things um, deprive people of their cultural and lived experience. And so it's important to acknowledge that too, because what makes us unique and beautiful as humans is our differences. Mm -hmm. And it shows, I mean, studies show that when people of diverse backgrounds work together, at least in a corporate environment, because I just (laughs) finished my MBA, that those businesses actually tend to do better. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that's like a microcosm compared to like, if we were to work efficiently as people in the United States instead of dividing. Um, But what do you feel about that, Kimberly, about- uh, Yeah, you know, I think that- Addressing that. The discussion of Black Lives Matter and being able to be yogis who are open to having a dialogue around race and what white supremacy looks like in the yoga space, which I know is a very difficult topic for a lot of people, you know. Personally, you know, I am, Japanese, Mexican, and Native American, and I am one of the few people of color that are in the spaces that I teach a lot of yoga classes in. And so, you know, it's been always a very important part of my yoga teaching to represent who I am and the differences that I have and to celebrate the differences of, you know, my students, the people who take my teacher trainings, to be able to create accessible spaces for people to feel welcomed and and honored for who they are, which is a huge part of my teaching and Little Heroes Yoga. You know, and I think that celebrating who we are and acknowledging our differences and where like that that's a, a wonderful place to be where yoga can be really beneficial. Yeah. And regarding holding space people from different backgrounds. It's not the job of the people from various backgrounds to educate you. If you're not of that background, Mm -hmm. it's your job to educate you. And the thing is, is that, you know, I feel like a lot of people, they want to ask questions and that's okay. You know, it's okay to ask questions, but at the same time, like think about your questions first. Like, is there, is there a place where this question might be already answered? Is this a discussion you want to have because you want to have a personal story that's aligned with this discussion of this question? Like, think about what you could do to prepare yourself for a discussion if you're going to. And there are plenty of people who are trusted friends who will want to have those types of conversations with you. I've been having so many various conversations about, you know, race and racism and colorism and all these things which are not new guys like these are not (laughs) new new topics like the and i've been discussing this these things for a very very long time you know (laughs) like and so 
some of that frustration of people of color or frustration that I can personally say is that, you know, this whole idea that this is a new thing is frustrating to me. It's not that I don't want people to ask me questions or like need direction because I understand that. But it's also frustrating to see that like, oh, now the light is on (laughs) a little Mm -hmm. bit. So, you know. And I think that, you know, people don't know what they don't know until they don't know it (laughs) until they know it. They don't know what they don't know until they realize they don't know it. So a lot of conversations right now are difficult. And but that's because people are emerging from not knowing to knowing. And then there's a bit of shame, I think, that comes with that. Um, But, you know, going back to our discussion, like I'll just speak to my experience I've told my husband various things. I'm ethnically ambiguous um, and I've experienced stuff, not to the extent of Kimberly or other people. Um, but I told him and he's like, oh, no. And we were at the at a theme park and there was someone in front of us, a uh, Latinx man and his daughter in front of us. And uh, the the ride operator who was Caucasian said, you know, how many are in your party? And the Latinx man said two. And uh, then the the ride guy was just like, I count three. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, there's just two of us. And he's like, I count three. Why? And so he was counting me who I wasn't mm-hmm. part of their, their yeah. party. And it wasn't until my husband's like, no, she's with me mm-hmm. that the you guy's like, it. and then my husband's like, Oh my God, you're not, you know, what you're saying is real. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's freaking real, you know? And I think that that happens a lot of times where when things exist beyond our perception, we don't necessarily know what we don't know <laughs> until we don't know it, you know? Yeah, until and, it's and- pointed out at us and we want to do the work too. So like, you know, I took prison yoga project because it was something that was important to me to understand people Mm -hmm. who are challenged, who are living through trauma, who create, you know, who through no, no necessarily like a lot of the times in rehabilitation or dealing with, you know, drug addiction and things like it's not, it's not just a, a personal thing. Like there's many, many facets that are going along with however people are expressing trauma, you know? And, and so to be able to have that information and it's been, you know, like a lifelong path of, of wanting to know more about other people's lived experiences and how, you know, practices like yoga, mindfulness and meditation can benefit us to create, you know, something that can be, a powerful transformative opportunity. Um, you know, it's it's the space for us to to acknowledge like that this is important work that we have to do. But everybody has to take on that work or open their eyes to it when they can. You know, when it's a capacity for that. I have plenty of people telling me like I can't even watch the news. I I don't want to know what's going on. You know, and. I think that sometimes that's a that's a bypassing activity, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, ugh, I'm not watching it. I, I'm just social media detoxing for for you know. But there's there's just so much going on right now that it's really important for us to not check out. Like if you're just checking out because you have the privilege to check out mm-hmm. from the from the disastrous nature of the world right now, like realize that, acknowledge that, and then once you're ready please come back and take action. Like, yeah. please help. <laughs> you know, we need everyone's help right now. 
And I think that, you know, fine. You don't want to be on social media right now. I get it. Sometimes yeah. I have to take a break, but still be informed. There's many, many places to be informed that don't require seeing what your uncle Tom, Thomas right. or, or uncle, like, Joe, aunt, you know, yeah. I don't know why I went there. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> uncle Baba. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, what your uncle, what your person that disagrees with you says, yeah. um, or you know, there's just so much stuff out there. And when people tell you things, just listen. You know, when people tell you it's their experience, listen. Yes. You know, and a variety of people have different experiences. There's no one person that is the uh, the spokesperson for all of culture. Okay. But, um, you know, yeah. when people with that lived experience speak, listen. Exactly. And respect their space to, to explore what they're feeling. And, you know, so that goes back over to spiritual bypassing, right? Like, oh, well, that's not really what's happening, you know? Um, And, but it is what's happening. It's happening for them in that moment or in them and their lived in experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their awareness regarding their culture, their life, you know, it's all real. And, and that's the thing, too, is, like, opening people's eyes to your experience or having courage to talk about an experience that may be difficult for you. Like, the, the first part of that is just having the discussion with somebody you trust, you know? Like, <laughs> we're not telling you to go up in front of your class and tell them all your deepest, darkest secrets because that's not, impro- that's not appropriate either. No. You know? <laughs> so the language behind understanding, like, what is the message, you know, what is important right now? What can we take away that can bring more compassion and empathy into the spaces that we're in? Yeah. So that people want to take action on their own or investigate things that may be coming up for them. Like that's an important step to take as a teacher, Mm -hmm. as a leader, because as a teacher of other people, you hold a different set of power over those students Mm -hmm. and you know by creating this you allow by doing this you create space for your students and when you misspeak like i just misspoke a few moments ago when i addressed the uncle that is part of cultural you know there's the cultural implication to that Mm -hmm. and i i address it i accept my accountability that that's not what i meant (laughs) meant you know but it's still part of something that I said. So I have to take ownership of that and acknowledge that and that I misspoke because that's part of the being moving towards being anti-racist. Right. And being human is knowing that in these conversations, we are not going to have all of the words the right way. Like I am not, uh, you know, a speaker that has spent a lot of time having or leading this type of discussion. And I know that, but I do have my own experiences and the things that have occurred in my life that I can share with people that can help them to maybe see when certain situations may have occurred for them. And I've been having a lot of that discussion with my husband who is, you know, a white male. So we are having the discussion of a a woman of color 
with a white male who, you know, him and I, we've also been in a profession where we're supposed to be seen as equals and where, quite honestly, a lot of times he's seen as a superior to me because he's white and he's male. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's just a lot of things that we're going to have to take time and realize that it's not just going to have one conversation and be done with it. Like, no, it's just an ongoing dialogue that we have to have. And it's uncomfortable and sometimes it sucks, but it's important. And I feel like for me and my marriage, like something that I want to be invested into. I I think that my my yard guys are too loud. <laughs> I'm like trying. I'm like, can I mute it or whatnot? But since I have control of everything, I, I'm like, there's no mute option. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> oh, this pandemic yeah. and hard conversations with husbands that don't. You know, I had a conversation with my my husband the other day. And I, you know, we were talking and I was like, you know, I realized that sometimes for certain people who have grown up with lots of privilege, you know, um, like you've been supported and surrounded by you can do anything so much that when you can't do something, your world falls apart. And I was like, because that's not the lived in experience for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we were just addressing it. Because yeah. like a long time ago, something happened and he just felt so discouraged. And I was like, well, that's because everybody always told you you were amazing. <laughs> you know, and so there's just like this natural default to a certain type of person that gets a little extra privilege or a lot of extra privilege compared to, to most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, you know, having discussions that may be challenging for you in your life, in your teaching, like just know that the language that you use, you might mess it up sometimes, which is okay, you know, but just continue to have those conversations and continue to, to work out like the ideas that you want to put forth because they're, they're important. They're important mm -hmm. to your teaching. They're important to your community. They're important to you as you develop and grow as a teacher as well. So you have more awareness around the language that you use and mm -hmm. the powerful effects of the language that you use because it makes a difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you misspeak about, you know, something like, you know, uh, your leg and you bend your elbow when you mean yeah. bend your knee, um, you don't need to apologize for that. You just course correct. But if you misspeak in a culturally insensitive way or accidentally create a microaggression, or, you know, say some a name that's associated with something that wasn't your intention, right? Mm -hmm. Like I did, you need to address that. Yeah. And you need to course correct with words that, you know, that's not what I intended to say. If someone comes up to you and it says, you know, when you said this, it hurt my feelings, <clears throat> or it it disturbed me, or it upset me, or you know. Yeah. Then you need to, you know, I'm not talking about if someone's like, you know, you said that take a deep breath and it made someone mad because we don't have control over right. like, how people yeah. process words. But if you said something that you, that's culturally insensitive, yep. then. Then we want to correct it. And yeah. we want to acknowledge what other people are feeling too. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a fine line, you know, because yeah. there's, there's over sensitivity potentially, you mm -hmm. know, and then there's 
the fact that we, you know, might be saying things that we just don't think about. And like, that's not what we're as yoga teachers, like we're supposed to be paying attention to what is happening in the present moment. So if you're like, oh, I didn't even know I said that. It's like, how present are you? Are you just, <laughs> are you just like landing the script of the class that you prepared for? Or are you really like being in tune with these people who are in front of you, who are looking to you for, you know, guidance in their practice? So that's yeah. something to keep in mind too. Yeah. And through doing that, um, by being aware of potential spiritual bypassing, whether that's, our self-imposed spiritual bypassing or an intentionally spiritually bypassing others or uh, purposefully doing so, right? Because some mm-hmm. people do. And being culturally aware, that creates more space. And that creates people, uh, the possibility for people to really open up and grow individually. And ourselves too. When we when we look at ourselves, you know, swadhyaya or swadhyaya, like self-study. When we do the, when we do, when we do misstep, when we're not completely aware, when we lose our mindfulness surrounding our words and our connection to what we're trying to convey, then it's time to step back and, and look as well. Mm, yeah. And that creates more internal space. <laughs> exactly. And then the more space you have, the easier the language comes, you know, mm-hmm. if you haven't given your, like, you know, for example, even I remember very vividly going to uh, teach prenatal yoga on the night that uh, the election results from 2016. Like, it's very, very vivid in my mind. I'm sitting there in front of all these women who are pregnant, you know, and we're trying to figure out, like, what's going to happen, you know? And, And at that point in time, like, I didn't have the language that I have now to be able to to convey, you know, the feelings that I felt at that moment. Like I can mm-hmm. still remember like feeling like kind of speechless, like what is going to happen? You know, are we mm-hmm. going to have our first woman president, you know, or are we not? And it was just a very interesting, like weird space to be in for that because, you know, obviously it didn't go the way that I had imagined it was going to go. Right. Um, but the more space that we have, you know, like now that I've had four years of, you know, reflecting and different things, like I have a different way of expressing myself around my personal politics, which I don't necessarily feel is appropriate for a yoga space in and of itself if I'm teaching mm-hmm. a class. Yeah. But I do know that I can express myself in my personal pages and my personal views are important. Um, and that I think that human rights and the dignity of all humanity is not political. And mm-hmm. so I am okay with expressing those views in yeah. the way that I need to. If that's going to make it so that people don't attend my classes or my trainings, I'm okay with that because yeah. human rights are more important to me than capitalism, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> we just have to have the space to be able to make those decisions and to, to think about what it is that we want to share in a way that feels appropriate for us. And I can't tell you what that is for you. You have Mm -hmm. to find the space and, you know, go through the process to be able to figure out what it is that you want to be able to convey to your community. And next week we'll 
extend this conversation into that of optimizing your language. Mm-hmm. So fine tuning, like Kimberly just said, she didn't have the words, but now she does. I'll discuss words to avoid those words that prevent people from having depth or positive or more positive experiences. And we'll discuss welcoming language. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us to talk a little bit more about language and about the, you know, the state of what we're experiencing personally, the and I. And if you have any questions, you're always welcome to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, don't suffer like us. You can find all of our archive podcasts uh, at don'tsufferlikeus.com or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we hope that you'll join us next week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Thea. Bye. Bye.